<laughs> Good morning. Welcome to First EC. Glad to see all of you here this morning. Glad those of you that are on Zoom are able to join with us. Anybody who's a visitor, we encourage you to fill out. There's a little card in the back. We'd love to know a little bit about you. So if you can fill that card card out on your your way out this morning, just put it in the offering offering plate. That would be fine. I do have a couple of announcements that I just want to highlight. There's a lot of things in here, so please read through your bulletin. I hope you were paying attention to the to the slides up front. But this week, um, want to make sure that you know. Again, tomorrow night, our second class of first of the new members class. We're looking forward to to that. We had a great session last Monday. Um, again, if you're just even interested, want to join in the conversation, come on out tomorrow evening. Join us. It's not a commitment that you have to have to join then, if you just want to know more and be a part of the discussion, that'd be great. Uh, but then this, this Wednesday, we're going to start our Lenten services. So instead of prayer meeting on, on Wednesday at 7 o'clock, we'll be having our first Lenten service. And we'll have Lenten services every Wednesday, except for the week of my surgery. We'll take a break, and then we'll continue on until the week of, or through the week of, of Holy Week. So look forward to seeing you Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock. And then, Could you explain it all what the Lenten service is? Sure. It's a serve through Lent. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, no, I, I see it as a, a sort of a, another semi-service like a Sunday morning. We'll, we'll sing a hymn or two. We'll have a, a bit of a, a lesson, a bit of a sermon, but there's no reason why it can't be interactive if it turns into that. Um, but it is something where through, through Lent we are going to be um, just making ourselves aware basically of our sins. And I know many of you have, have read uh, the um, Jerry Bridges book, Respectable Sins. It's going to be kind of based on that. Of course, none of us are murderers. Of course, none of us um, have committed grand theft larceny. Um, of course, none of us are gossipers. Of course, none of us are slanderers. Yeah, so um, that's kind of where this, this will be. It's, a, it's Lent. It's a, an opportunity for self-reflection and, and just kind of maybe addressing those sins that we tend to just tuck under the rug or, or think aren't so bad. Um, and so we'll have, we'll have a service each Wednesday night. The last one will be the Wednesday of Holy Week. Then on Monday, Thursday, we'll meet for a, a service and have communion around a, a table. We'll actually sit at a table. And then um, Friday, we'll have a tenebrae service on Good Friday. That's, a tenebrae service is a service of darkness. Um, it'll start off light, but as we go through Jesus hanging on the cross, uh, it'll get darker and darker until when, when he says it is finished, he's dead and we leave. And that's the way we... We leave it until Sunday morning then, on Easter morning, resurrection morning, when we get together and celebrate the fact that he is risen. So that's, that's a very long answer. I don't know if that's what you were looking for or not. But. It's better than the short answer. Okay. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> okay. Um, and then uh, Thursday, Thursday I get a chance to, to meet with the 20-somethings. I, this... This Thursday, I had the pleasure of, of meeting with four of the youth. We got together out at Dairy Queen, and a couple that tried to, tried to convince me they were youth, but um, they were a little bit older than that. So, 
Uh, but we did have, we had a good time with some, there were a couple of adults there too, joining in the conversation. So looking forward this, this Thursday, please spread the word. If you know any of the 20-somethings that are, a, I, was, I started to say have been a part of the, they still are a part of the church, but they just maybe have kind of lost a connection. Get the word out to them. I'd love to see them, love to just catch up with them and see how things are going for them. That's what I have as far as uh, dates, as far as activities this week. I do have a note to myself, too. I keep forgetting to ask about this. We have an umbrella holder, a metal umbrella holder out in the lobby. And rumor has it that somebody's family member made that years and years ago. We don't want to get rid of it if it's going to offend somebody or if somebody wants to claim it because their great-great-grandpappy made it, whatever. Um, So please let me know. If that's something that's of value to you, a family heirloom, um, because we're not interested in having it out there anymore. It's lovely. If it's yours, it's lovely. Um, But we'd love to have you have it in your room. Um, So we're looking to get rid of it, but we want to do it respectfully. So let me know if you know anything about the history of that umbrella umbrella holder. Anything else that we need to know? Did you just have the people in the secret pal just... Okay, yeah, we're ready to distribute the secret pals. So um, after the service, if you'll just meet in the back as a group, Vicky's going to take care of, Vicky and Joyce, I guess, are going to take care of distributing the names and uh, get that whole process going. So thank you. Anything else? Okay, well, let's take a breath. Let's pause. And let's just, let's just pray this morning. Good morning, Heavenly Father. I need to remind myself, and I just want to make sure you know, we're, we're here this morning, Father, for you. We're here to praise you. We're here to lift up worship to you because you are worthy of our praise. We thank you for all that you've done for us this week and all that you have planned for us in the coming week. Father, I pray that everything that we do here this morning, everything we sing, everything we say, all of our motions, whatever, that everything this morning would be to your honor and to your glory. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have some guests, vocalists this morning joining our praise band. So I'm going to invite those singers to come on up, all of the, the children have been apparently singing the song that is our first praise song. And so they have, they're going to sing with us, and they're going to lead us in singing, if you will. And they have some motions. Where, where would you like them? You want to spread? Why don't you guys come spread out? Because they want to see you too. Spread out over through here. Kind of right here in the middle. So it looks good. Okay. And from what I understand, there's a Bible verse that goes along with this. And James wants to... This will be our call to worship this morning. James has a Bible verse that he wants everybody to know about, right? And, and it's coming from Proverbs 3, um, well, verse um, f- 5, 5 through 5 and 6, right? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you his path to take. 
Okay, very good. Thank you. All right, let's, let's join them. Please stand. Join them and the praise band in singing our first hymn, first praise song. Good job. You guys ready? Everybody else ready? In my wrestling, in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. You are the peace in my troubled sea. In the silence you won't let go In the questions your truth will hold Your great love will lead me through You are the peace in my troubled sea You are the peace in my troubled sea My lighthouse, my lighthouse Shining in the darkness, I will follow you, oh, my lighthouse, my lighthouse, I will trust your promise, you will carry me safe to shore, safe to shore. in my troubled sea oh, you are the peace in my troubled sea my lighthouse my lighthouse shining in the darkness I will follow you oh my lighthouse my lighthouse I will trust the promise you will carry me safe to shore Oh, 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 oh,
hope you all had your caffeine this morning because we're going to get you. We're going to keep you moving. It's a, you're only halfway done with the rapid, uh, rapid beat songs. I don't know what, what what's the what's the proper term? Up tempo? I don't know. I'm, I don't know. Peppy, peppy songs. So wake up. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord as we wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, our reign forever. Our hope, our strong No one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. 
Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Hey, take a moment to greet your neighbor this morning. Great job, guys. Thank you. Fantastic job. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Fantastic. ask you to find your way back to your seats, please. But I would encourage you to continue this fellowship right after the service, please. It's great to see. So let's take a moment now to lift up, lift up praises and prayer requests. Oh, back here, Joyce has one. It feels really good to be back with my church family. Thank you for all your cards and prayers. I have my second procedure on March the 7th. Thank you. It's very good to, very good to see you back. Anybody else? Okay. Well, we'll just thank God for everything. And we'll, let's just go to the Lord in prayer then. Well, good morning, Father. Thank you for this new day. Thank you for the gift of being able to wake up this morning, step out of bed, breathe the air that you provide for us. We thank you for the way you're healing in Joyce's body, and we pray that this session that she has on March 7th, that it would go well. We know that you're already preparing doctors for that, and that, uh, that you have that on your calendar, as well as all the appointments that so many of us are, are de- getting ready to, to deal with. We thank you that you're always watching over us. We thank you that you provide for us. We thank you that you comfort us. You ease the anxiety for things that we know are coming up that we might not be too happy about. You give us the strength and the peace to to get through those, and you give us the healing to, to follow through after those appointments, surgeries, procedures, whatever. 
Father, I just ask you to hear all the unspoken requests that I'm sure were lifted this morning. Sometimes we're not able to put our thoughts into words, or maybe we just don't want to share them with everyone, but we, we lift them up to you, Lord, because we know that you're listening to every single one of us. As I said, we thank you for being our provider, and so we do have an offering this morning that we give to you. We ask you to accept it and to bless it, and we ask you to use it, use it for your ministry in whatever way you feel is appropriate. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I know you just feel like you just sat down, but I'll encourage you to stand back up again as we sing our first hymn, hymn number three.
may be seated. On this morning, we're going to jump back into the book of Luke. I know we took a break last week because we kind of took a, for Valentine's Sunday, if you will. But this week, we're back, back in Luke. We're back to traveling along with Jesus and his disciples. I know that we've been tagging along, we've been walking along with them as, we, as they walked through a grain field and got in trouble because they picked some grain, but it wasn't because they picked the grain, it was because it was on the Sabbath, if you remember. And the, the Pharisees kind of asked them why they were doing it that way. And we've been walking along seeing miracles performed. We see him heal a man who have a shri- had a shriveled hand, but again, he did that on a, Sunday mor- or on a Sabbath morning. And he got in trouble for that. And then uh, the last we were with him, if you remember, we got off the boat and there were people waiting for us, including a religious leader who had a girl that was dying. And so we hightailed it toward her house. But on the way, he, Jesus just stopped because somebody touched his coat and it was a woman who had a bleeding condition. Every day for 12 years, she had been bleeding. But by touching that hem on his cloak, she was healed. And then we got to the house, and everybody was saying that the, the girl had died, and Jesus brought her back to life. He gave her life. That's the last that we were with them, and we're going to tag along again. But today, instead of just tagging along, I want you to imagine that you are one of the disciples this time, one of the group called the Twelve. So I encourage you to just take a second, pick your favorite disciple, and then you're going to walk, work through this story with the eyes and the ears of, of that disciple. Today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17, but I'm also going to be referring a lot to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 43. It's going to be a mashup of the familiar story that we know as the feeding of the 5,000. But today, you're part of the story. And Jesus is going to look at you and he's going to say, you feed them. So let's jump into the story and see what you and Jesus are up to today. Starting again, Luke chapter 9, verse 10. It starts off by saying, when the apostles returned. So let's pause there. Let's figure out where you're coming back from. If we look up at verses 1 and 2, we see that Jesus called the 12 together. He sent them, he gave them power and authority. Now this is you guys again. He's called you together, sent you out, gave you power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases, sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He's sending you out. It sounds like all of you have been promoted. Up to this point, you've just been a student, you've been a follower, you've been soaking up all of his teaching, but now he sent you out to do preaching and healing. That's why in verse 10, it says, when the apostles returned, why it uses the word apostles. If you pay attention a little later, you're going to see that you're referred to again as disciples, because a disciple is a learner, somebody who follows the rabbi around, just soaks up all the information they can. But an apostle is someone who is sent with a job. They're sent to accomplish a goal. They're like the Blues Brothers. They're on a mission from God. Nobody? 
a mission to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And so that's what you did. He sent you out. Verse 6 says, they set out, they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And remember, you're one of those, one of those guys. He sent you out by twos, sent you out with a partner. Probably it was you and that person that's sitting beside you. You've been out proclaiming the gospel, healing the sick, and you get back. And the rest of the first sentence here says, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Mark's account says, they reported to Jesus all they had done and taught. You're excited. Think about a time when you had exciting news. You're just busting at the seams to tell Jesus all about this. He gave you power and authority. You went out. You discovered what you could do, what you were capable of with that power and that authority. And you can't wait to report everything back to Jesus. But as you're meeting up with him, townspeople are starting to show up. If you remember, I've told you, we've we've talked about this. The villagers are always watching for you and for Jesus. At this point, you can't get away from them. Mark's account tells us that because so many people were coming and going at this moment, as you're trying to come back and you want to tell Jesus all about what you had done, so many people were coming and going that they, the disciples, did not even have a chance to eat. You're so busy, so busy dealing with these people that are coming and going, you haven't even had a chance to eat. So Jesus invites you to come with him to a quiet place to get some rest. He's suggesting a little R&R for the group. And Luke tells us that then he took them with him, Jesus took the disciples with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. So you guys hop in the boat with him. He takes you toward Bethsaida. And Bethsaida is a town that, if you take a look at the top of the Sea of Galilee, I mentioned to you how they would go back and forth across. It's just a very big lake. And they would go back and forth, and the people would see them. You know, they, they, they would make sure that if they're heading one direction, they'd be there, and even if he goes back the other way. Well, this time, instead of stopping at one of the coastline towns, he's taking them to Bethsaida, which is up here on the northeast, off the coastline. It's a little bit, little bit farther away. It's not just a port city or you know, not just one that's right along the coastline there. He's trying to take them away a little bit. He wants to take them to a quiet place that he knows about. Mark, it says, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. You've been busy. Jesus knows you need a rest. And remember, that's why he gave us the Sabbath, right? And isn't it neat how Bible stories just tie into other Bible stories? Jesus knows you need some rest. He wants to take you to this quiet place called Bethsaida. But a funny thing happens on the way to Bethsaida. In verse 11, it says, But the crowds learned about it and followed him. They followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. I told you, you guys, the disciples, and especially Jesus, you're all celebrities now. And it's like you've got reporters and photographers chasing you down wherever you go. 
the way Mark describes it, he says, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So again, picturing that, that lake, the Sea of Galilee, and they've come from, from some spot along the coastline, they hop in the boat, but other people in these, in these towns around the perimeter, they recognize that boat. And as soon as they see it, they start telling everybody. And they start running. And they, these people on this side are running because they see the boat leaving. So they know they're taking off. And as soon as they see wherever that boat's headed, everybody starts running toward that spot from all these villages, all these towns around, around the lake. They're running ahead to get there before you do because they want to see Jesus. They're so desperate to see Jesus, just like that woman was that we talked about who, who, who uh, worked her way through the crowd to be able to get to Jesus and his cloak. Now, this was supposed to be a little bit of a vacation for you guys. You just left a crowd full of people because you needed to get away. But there's a whole lot of people here waiting for you guys to show up. And as you coast into shore, you see thousands of people cluttering the beach and the coastline. And you probably feel like just turning around and taking the boat out and just stopping in the middle of the sea so that nobody would bother you. But what does Jesus do? says he welcomes them. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Jesus just started preaching. He started preaching, and it sounds like it turned into a healing service. And apparently he was on a roll because the next thing we learn is that it's getting late in the day. Verse 12 starts off, late in the afternoon. Matthew's account says that evening was approaching. So this sermon and this healing service must have been going on for hours. Now, let's just pause for a moment and try to remember how this day got started. You, the apostles, you all got so busy with the people coming and going that you didn't have time to eat. They wanted to, yeah, that, that too. They didn't get a chance to report to Jesus, but they didn't even have time to eat. You and the apostles remember that now. It's almost evening, and one of you must have remembered how hungry you are, right? Now, I'm taking some liberties here with the story. But I'm imagining somebody's stomach growled, and you said, oh, that's right. We haven't eaten all day. So you approach Jesus in verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him, to Jesus, and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. So let's see if we can picture the scene. You guys, the disciples, you get together, and you've got to get one of your group to go talk to Jesus. So you might as well get your leader, right? So you go to Amanda, your council president disciple. And you say, no, listen, I'm sorry. Sometimes leadership brings with it some really uncomfortable situations. But So you go to Amanda and you say, hey, Amanda, don't you think we're going to have to cut Jesus off soon? He just keeps going on and on about the kingdom of God, and it's, it's getting late. These people need to eat. So Amanda goes to Jesus 
and you're all huddled behind her for moral support. And we know Amanda would be very polite, so Amanda goes to Jesus and she says, excuse me, Jesus, I really love your sermon, but did you know that it's getting pretty late? We were thinking that it might be a good idea to let these people go so they can get a room or find a McDonald's before it closes, don't you think? I mean, I'm sure they're getting hungry. And all of you are standing behind her and you're all shaking your heads. Now I want to point something out here. If you remember, Mark's account told us the people were running on foot from all the towns, it said. Plural, all the towns. The towns surrounding the Sea of Galilee typically had a population of about 3,000. Now we soon find out that there are 5,000 men in attendance. And this isn't just a men's retreat that's sponsored by Jesus and the Twelve. Each man probably has a wife and will be very conservative and say one child with them. Like they likely, though, had, had more. But using this very conservative estimate of one man, one wife, one child, that would mean that there's a minimum of 15,000 people here that he's been talking to, that he's preaching to and, and healing. And with it being late in the afternoon, or as the, as the one account says, evening is approaching, it's probably too late for most of them to be able to return to the towns that they came from before dark. So they would have to stay with someone in one of the, the closest towns. It was the custom of the day to, to put someone up rather than expecting them to travel at night because the roads were dangerous enough during the day, but they were not what you wanted to, to travel at night. And so it was just etiquette, it was just customary that if somebody was a traveler, somebody was not from your town, but they needed some place to stay, you put them up. You put them up in your upper room, remember? The guest room, the Cataluma. So, knowing that, do you really think that these towns that are built to support 3,000 people each could handle a barrage of 15,000 people? Or even if they split up and go to two towns, that's still more than twice as many people as these towns are built for. And so I think Jesus knows that that's a bad idea. But regardless, we know that he does have a much better plan. So when Amanda comes to him and says, let's send these people home so that they can get something to eat, he looks at Amanda, but then he steps around, looks at all of you back behind her, and he says, you feed them. Look at verse 13. He replied, you give them something to eat. So now Amanda turns around, looks at all of you, and says, we got to figure something out. Now Gloria, being the treasurer disciple, she points out how difficult this is going to be. Verse 13 finishes, says, they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. And Mark's account, Mark's account tells us, they answered Jesus, well, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? One commentary noted that it would take over 200 days wages to buy enough food just for the 5,000 men. And I don't think Gloria's carrying her bank card with her out here at this, and, and they're not carrying a sack of, 
of their, their full treasury. So um, they can't afford to, to, buy, to pay for any of the food right now. So they find themselves in kind of a predicament, right? And these disciples can't kick anything in personally because being a disciple just doesn't pay a whole lot either. So Jesus says, well, what do you have? John's account tells us that Peter's brother points out that there was a boy there that had five small barley loaves and two small fish. And notice that John is very intentional about including the word small there. Two small, five small barley loaves and two small fish. And again, I'll remind you about the size of the loaves. Don't think of American. Now, this has been something that has been a, an offline discussion between Ron and, and myself. We were really trying to figure out just how big these things were. I did find a source that gave the measurements of seven inches in diameter. A standard one would be seven inches in diameter and a half an inch to an inch thick. So re- my, my first thought was a quesadilla at Sheets. Just take all the meat out and just have those two pieces of whatever, the quesadilla part. Or a personal pan pizza with no toppings at all. No sauce, no toppings, just the bread. And even that's probably too thick. But that gives you an idea. And it says that these were small loaves in his case. Regardless, the point is that this was a boy's lunch. And I think it's interesting that he was the only one that had the foresight to bring a lunch along. But this was a boy's lunch. He didn't go get groceries from Aldi's and he's on his way home. This was more like a $5 Arthur Treacher's fish and chips kind of meal. This was just enough for him. So now Amanda's got to go back and report to Jesus that we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And notice she lets out the part about them being small. But that's okay because Jesus has a plan. It's not a problem. Verses 14 and 15 tell us, and this is where we get the parenthetical note that about 5,000 men were there. But he, Jesus, said to his disciples, he said to all of you, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Now, I actually was going to have an exercise where I was going to have you stand and sit in groups of a certain amount, but we're going to avoid I, But I want you to kind of look around. I want you to just imagine. There's probably about, we, we're usually 70 to 80 people. There's probably about 70 people here today. And just imagine if I asked you to stand up and then move yourself into groups of 10. That might work. There's always going to be someone who's going to kind of take charge in a group, and they start, okay, you guys come this way, and then you go there, but then somebody else over here who's taking charge might grab one or two of the ones that you thought were in here. It's going to happen, but it might take a while. These 12 guys were able to put 15,000 or more people into groups of 50. And now it doesn't say how long it took, but still, just the fact that they were able to do it I think we could jokingly say that that's a a miracle in itself. But they get them all organized. And verse 16 says, Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he, Jesus, gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to disciples to distribute to the people. So what's he doing now? Well, can you imagine if you're one of the group of 50 that's way, way in the back, and you can't hear what Jesus is saying, and you just see him lifting this stuff up, and you know, the wife is, Joseph, can you see what's going on? No, Martha, I'm sorry, I just see him waving something around, I don't know what he's doing. 
But what about you guys? You're right there with him. Do you have any idea what he's doing? He's got seven little pieces of food, and he's giving thanks for it, and he's breaking it. What's he going to do next? Maybe you think he's going to give it away as like a door prize or something. But now we find out here exactly what he's going to do. And I'm going to ask you to bear with me for just a few minutes because we're going to have some Greek language instruction. Now, I know that that doesn't sound exciting, but just bear with me because it is relevant here in this verse. In verse 16, all of these verbs, of course, are in the past tense because it's a story being told. He took the loaves, he gave thanks, he broke them, and he gave them. They're all in the past tense. But most of the actions in this verse are in the aorist tense, which means they happened once and they were done. He took the loaves once and done. He gave thanks, he's done. He broke the loaves once and done. All aorist tense, once and done. But the last verb is in the imperfect tense. And the imperfect tense means that it was continuing. So, for instance, the word broke. The aorist tense was he broke. The imperfect tense would be he kept breaking. Now, I tell you all this because many of the translations, including our NIV and what's on the screen this morning, reads, then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people, the pieces of food. But that would still be the aorist tense, just like all those previous verbs. And that would be incorrect. That would be a picture of Jesus using the disciples much like ushers, like we do when we give pew communion. He blesses the food, breaks it, and then gives it to the disciples to go out and distribute. And you see them going out and giving the food out once and done. But that's not what happened. The New American Standard, it's much more accurate to the original Greek, original Hebrew. So it's, it's, a, it's the Bible that I like to use for my studying. And in this case, it gives us a much, a much better picture of what's happening here. Jesus breaks the food. Well, let me, let me read it from verse 16 here in the NASB translation. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them. Those all match. And kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. He kept giving them. That's a whole different picture. Now Jesus breaks the food, gives it to you disciples. You serve the first group of 50. You come back to Jesus, and he kept giving you food to distribute. He's got more for you to give out. So you serve the next group of 50. You come back, he's got more. You go out and serve the next group of 50 until all the groups are served. He keeps giving you food. Every time the disciples come back, Jesus has more to give to them. Now, I wasn't trying to bore you with a Greek language lesson. I wasn't trying to impress you with any kind of nerdy knowledge of Greek. I think it's important here, though, that you understand the Greek because you hear people today trying to explain this miracle away. You'll hear them talk about, like, the first picture. The idea that after he blessed the bread, he broke it up, he put it in the baskets, and they passed it around. 
And everybody was real polite. They didn't take one. They decided they're not real hungry, so they don't take anything. In fact, maybe they have a morsel that's in a little backpack or haversack of, of theirs or something. And so they want to share with their neighbor, and they put it in the basket and keep passing it around. And by the time they're done, they actually have 12 baskets full of food. That's the way some people want to try to explain it away. And, it, and it's beautiful if that was the story, but it's wrong. That's not the way it was. It was a miracle. Jesus started with five small barley loaves and five small fish, and he kept giving food. He kept distributing food until everyone had eaten enough to be satisfied, it tells us. Verse 17, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. You weren't as disciples, as you're passing this food around, you weren't giving communion where you're suggesting that they just pinch off a piece of the bread, and you weren't going around passing out the food with instructions to say, now, don't take too much because we got to share this. No, you're just giving out the food to everyone who's there, and it says they all ate. You're giving it to everybody. Everybody had something to eat, and it wasn't just enough to hold you over. You were, they were satisfied. And then all of you, you guys go back, and you pick up the scraps, and when everybody comes back, there's 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. And how many of you are there? How many disciples? 12. Is that a coincidence? I say nay, nay. <laughs> no, of course it's not a coincidence. What's happened here? Well, in the process of Jesus blessing these people through you. He used you to give out that food. And so by using you as part of his blessing to those people, you were also blessed in this miracle as well. So what can we learn from this story? Well, there's three things that I want you to take away today. First of all, be thankful for what you do have. The disciples disregarded the five loaves and the two fish, right? They considered seven pieces of food as insignificant for the situation. But Jesus gave thanks for the food, and then he used what he had to perform his ministry, which leads us right into the second point. God's mission is not dependent on our resources. Listen, if God has a plan... Our practical excuses won't mean a thing. Now, we're good at knocking down dreams with our excuses. Oh, that ministry will never work because we don't have the manpower. Well, that's not going to stop him. Well, we can't do that ministry because we just can't afford it. Well, that's not going to stop him either. Well, we definitely can't do that ministry because the building isn't up to code. Well, that's not going to stop him either if he wants to do it. Bless you. God made what seemed like an impossible demand on his disciples. Remember? There's 15,000 people out here. You go feed them. Oh, we don't have the manpower. There's only 12 of us. That didn't stop him. Oh, well, we can't afford to buy food for all of these people. Nope, that didn't stop him either. Well, we don't have gloves. And I mean, if we touch all that food, we'll spread germs all over. Nope, that didn't stop him either. 15,000 people, you feed them, and through Jesus, they did. They were the ones that fed them. He provided the food. 
But the disciples were the ones who fed the 5,000. The third takeaway is this. Jesus still wants his disciples to be involved in his miracles. According to 2021 census figures, there's almost 8,000 people living in the borough of Palmyra. And as I went down the list of statistics, there were some interesting numbers. Did you know that there's 27% um, of, of, this, of the people living in Palmyra who are under the age of 18. Okay, that's interesting. In Palmyra, 78% are white, 12% Hispanic, and 3.5% black. Okay, we're a, we're a very white community. And there were 408 veterans living in Palmyra in 2021, or at least reported. Okay, those are interesting numbers. But I ran into some concerning statistics, too. Like the fact that 7.5% of adults under 65 do not have health insurance. That's 600 people in Palmyra who decide whether or not to go to the doctor based on whether or not they can afford it. Or more likely, that's 600 people living in Palmyra who don't go to the doctor, who aren't getting medical care because they have to make a decision between medical care or food or gas, whatever. One of the most disturbing numbers was 14.8. That's the percentage of Palmyra residents who are living under the poverty level. That's almost 1,200 people whose income doesn't reach the Census Bureau's poverty threshold. Now, that moves around, but just to give you two examples, for instance, that would be a single parent, a single mom, single dad, with one child, and the income is 20000 or less, trying to support a child, probably paying some sort of daycare. Maybe they're lucky enough to have a a relative that is able to watch the child, but living on $20,000 or less per year. The other situation would be a mom and a dad with two kids, but the income is less than $30,000. The threshold varies based on the family size, but 1,200 people in Palmyra Borough are living in poverty. So between the unnumbered homeless, we know there are homeless, we just don't know how many there are. It's a very, very difficult thing to actually put a number on. But between the the unnumbered homeless, the 1,200 living in poverty, the 600 uninsured, and countless others with undefined needs, there are plenty of people in Palmyra who are quote-unquote hungry in so many different ways. And I intentionally made you a part of this morning's story. Because you are today's disciples of Jesus. There are 8,000 people in Palmyra. Given the statistics, there are about 25% that have physical needs. I'm sure there are quite a few that have spiritual needs as well. So, what can a small church with a small congregation do about it. The same thing that a small group of 12 did with a small amount of food. Give thanks for what you have, ask God to bless what we have, and then remember Jesus' words. You feed them. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your word We thank you for the truth that we find in it. 
even a truth that sometimes makes us a little uncomfortable. Father, I, I think I, I know that the people who, who are hearing your message this morning recognize it's just a matter of knowing how. And so, Father, we pray that you will help us to, to have open eyes to the situations around us, guide us in ways that we can help these hungry in so many ways in Palmyra. You know the needs, you know our abilities, you know our resources. You've put us here for a reason. And so, Father, I pray that you'll make it evident, you'll make it obvious to us. And I pray, too, that we will continue to call upon you, not try to figure it out ourselves, not try to make decisions ourselves, but always go to you, asking you what ministry you want us to perform, asking you how are we going to take care of this ministry. Just taking those steps in faith, knowing that you're going to provide and you're going to bless if it's a ministry that you want to happen. We know that if it's your will, it's going to happen. And so we just pray that we'll be, we'll be willing and, and able and available, obedient servants. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll invite you to stand as we sing our final hymn now. Hymn number 506.
And so as you leave here with a tender heart and a heart ready to be broken, I pray that the Lord will bless you and protect you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.